Bizarre, if you will. A menagerie of the implausible. A miscellanea of the macabre. And a morass of the morose. Horrors most minds can't even fathom, let alone imagine. Abominations so vile, phantoms so maddening, that you won't believe your ears. But these tales are no less real than am I. No. Each of tonight's witnesses claim their story to be 100% genuine, real-life accounts. So folks, gather round, see your ticket taker, grab yourself something from the concession stand, and step right up as we regale tales of beasts, ghosts, and other strange occurrences. But firstly, aliens are once again in the news. So let's start there. Gabby from Oregon. Please step into the spotlight. Hey, Derek, this is Gabby out in Oregon. I am calling from foothills, a rural area in the foothills of the Cascade Mountains. It was my husband and I and we were sleeping. I don't know what time it was. It was definitely after midnight. And we have a king size bed. So he was sleeping on one end. I was actually wedged over to the other end because I like sleeping at the side of the bed there. And I woke up. I mean, I don't sleep very well at night anyway, but I did wake up. And as soon as I opened my eyes, I seen, I think they're grays, but I'm not sure. It had a big bulbous head. So it was probably, it wasn't tall though. Our bed stands maybe about three feet off of the ground. And so I was probably at that level. And the head was just a little bit higher than mine where I was laying down. So maybe about four feet. And I just screamed. I screamed, which then, of course, started my dog barking. And then my husband woke up. And I've had nightmares, you know, multiple, many, many times. But I have never screamed before. And on this one, I was actually awake, so I wasn't sleeping. But when I opened my eyes, I wasn't sleeping and I seen it. And then I just screamed because I thought, holy crap, what is this next to my bed? And then I, you know, my husband woke up and then he said, what's the matter? And I, of course, I scooted over to that side of the bed uh, after I woke up. And then my dog was barking and it's dark in here we don't we don't keep lights on inside or outside so it's dark inside the home um actually we have a front porch light but that's the bedroom's not towards the front porch so i could still see the shadow though and it was right next to right next to my bed so i don't i don't know what happened to it after i screamed it was gone you know we did turn on the lights and look and see if we seen anything but we didn't so I don't know what it was. The only thing I could think of was alien just because of the way the head was shaped. So that's 
I think it was um, and have not thankfully seen it again. I don't really want to see it again, but that uh, was very strange because it was right next to my bed, right right next to it. So I don't know. That's it. Thanks, Derek. Thank you, Gabby. What say you? Sleep paralysis. A frighteningly realistic nightmare. Or an experience with a flesh and blood extraterrestrial. In alien gray, based on the description. And I can't say what it was that Gabby encountered. But I can concur that the event was chilling. But speaking of aliens and chilling encounters... How many of you have heard about the ruckus and massive police response down in Miami, Florida, back on New Year's Day? Police say more than 50 juveniles damaged stores, started fights, and set off fireworks. It triggered a show of force usually reserved for the worst possible disasters. CBS News Miami's Larry Seward is at Bayside. That's where Miami police continued heavy patrols tonight. Several frequent Bayside customers told us they saw significantly more police officers inside the mall, but it's the show of force that shut down six blocks of Biscayne Boulevard Monday that grabbed attention from witnesses and former police. Now here's where things get a little weird. According to rumors swirling around the internet, like TikTok, Facebook, and whatever Twitter is called now, electrical power to the mall was cut, cell phones were jammed or somehow blocked, Black helicopters circled the scene. The airport was locked down and flights grounded. I also heard that the airspace above the city of Miami was also completely shut down. Now there was obviously something unusual going down. Anywhere from 60 to 100 police cars arrived on the scene. There's plenty of amateur video to prove that. But there's also no shortage of footage showing frightened mall goers sprinting from the scene by the hundreds. Obviously running from something. But as unusual as all of that is, here is where it gets really strange. The official report was that teenagers were fighting in the area. Hundreds of them, using sticks and firecrackers. In fact, four teens were eventually arrested and charged with various crimes. But due to the lopsided response by the police, rumors started to swirl that something otherworldly actually occurred there that evening, and that the police, for one reason or another, are covering it all up. On New Year's Day, there was a massive police response in downtown Miami. More than 50 young people armed with sticks began fighting. Police say juveniles were also setting off fireworks, causing chaos. So now, people are posting online saying that police weren't there to handle a group of rowdy teens, but rather 8 to 10 feet tall, shadowy aliens. Conspiracy theories are saying a big creature could be seen standing in front of the entrance to the shop. Area, Bayside. Now, both of those clips are courtesy of WFOR, CBS News 4, out of Miami. And you know, things get a little crazier than that. Some eyewitnesses, again, according to social media, described an insane scene a device that generates a portal of some sort, shadow figures emerging from a ball of energy in the center of the mall. And a few claiming that the entities seem to self-camouflage, not unlike our friend Glimmerman. Now the gist is that those fleeing the mall in fear were actually fleeing these mysterious creatures. So here's a portion of a TikTok post by a user, Jay Kinda Quiet, who claims he was on the scene. I look back, no cap, yo, no cap. I look back, it looked like, like, like a big ass shadow, but it was solid at the same time, like a few, like a few shadows, but they were solid at the same time. And it, was, it almost looked like they was coming our direction, like they was chasing us, but they was disappearing and reappearing closer. So I'm like, yo, what? So we start really moving. Next thing you know, we start hearing more gunshots, like these dudes start firing at this. 
get outside, mad police, all that. You know what I'm saying? They start the police just like trying to get all the people that ran out the mall. They like trying to like um, detain these people, whatever. Now, in all fairness, I've seen it posted a lot of places that this eyewitness testimony and the other half dozen floating around there are all fake. I also heard that Jay kind of quiet put a video out claiming his first video was simply a goof, a hoax. But I was unable to find that particular video. Now perhaps it was taken down. It seems that's happening a lot with posts related to this story. But he did post a new video just two days ago, claiming that everything in his first story was true. You can go to the show notes to view all that and every other piece of media referenced here tonight. MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com Now regardless of all these claims, the Miami PD's overreaction and the fact that only four people were arrested, that coupled with all the strange rumors of restricted airspace and cut electricity, rumors that I could neither confirm nor disprove, and despite all that, the Miami Police Department is sticking to their guns. They claim it was a group of rowdy teens that brought nearly every single officer in the Miami area to that mall that evening. Here is their official response. Miami Police saying in part, there were no aliens, UFOs, or ETs. No airports were closed. No power outages. The statement ended with a facepalm emoji. Well, that's exactly what they'd want you to think if something supernatural did occur, and they were trying to cover it up. But it's also what they would say if something really didn't occur. So that statement isn't worth a whole lot to me. But I spent an evening diving into all the coverage of this event, and while I can't say for certain, I do believe most of this to be blown out of proportion. And I think social media fanned those flames to the point that the story got out of control. And with all the new UFO, UAP news as of late, and other strange cases such as the Vegas alien landing of last year, people are on edge, and it doesn't take much to set them off. And then again, these are strange times. If a group of 10-foot-tall shadow aliens, be it space or dimensional, were to show up at your local mall. I doubt most of us would even bat an eye. So while this story is a lot of fun, do your own research from more than one or two sources, but come to your own judgment. And the video that's floating around everywhere, filmed from a high-rise across the street from the Bayside Mall, that video claims to show one of these super-tall beings walking along the sidewalk. Well, that's a blurred version of the original video. And when the video was viewed in HD, which I have linked to in the show notes, it's very obvious that you're looking at three people walking side by side. There is no alien. In fact, there's zero footage to date that shows anything other than people and police cars. So that's it. That's my coverage of this bizarre event. As much fun as it is to think that the incident really did happen, I don't think it did. There's just not enough evidence for me. But I will end with this. Many are claiming a cover-up is at work here, which would make evidence hard to come by. And we all know most intimidated witnesses just won't talk. That, the massive police response with only four arrests, it's like 50 officers per teenager. I will admit that raises some alarm bells. So I'll certainly keep my eye on the story. And I'll be sure to update everyone should further details emerge. Thank you again, Gabby, for the segue into that wild story. Now next up, we venture to the Keystone State. Madeline from Pennsylvania. Welcome to tonight's show. 
Hi, Derek. This is Madeline, a repeat caller from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I just wanted to share a story from when I was younger. Um, my dad was previously married, and the woman that he was married to was a Reiki master and just a very spiritual person. Honestly, she really opened my eyes into that type of world. And um, she was having her friend over for dinner one time, and now this is the first time I was meeting this friend. And I remember her telling me about her and just how she was very spiritual as well, very gifted, would you say, um, kind of like a medium psychic. So, of course, my interest was piqued immediately. She comes over, and, of course, I'm asking her a bunch of questions. And I just remember she sat there and looked at me, and she was like, you have a birthmark on your right thigh. And I remember distinctly, it was winter time. I had pants on. Like I said, this is the first time I was meeting her. There's no way this woman knew I had a birthmark on my right thigh. So, of course, I was like, yeah, I have a birthmark on my right thigh. And then she proceeds to tell me that I was a Japanese servant boy in my past life and I got stabbed there, which is just even weirder because I've always had this fascination with Japan and the Japanese culture. And I don't know, it was just too odd, too weird to be a coincidence for those two things to line up together. But um, yeah, I thought that was just very interesting. Always stuck with me. I was like about 11, 12 years old. So man, this is back in like 2006. Yeah, I will never forget that experience. Yeah, thank you again. I hope to hear this on the show. And of course, can't wait for new episodes. And thank you again, Derek. Take care. Thank you, Madeline. Now, it's been my experience that most people that claim to have these abilities are at best fooling themselves or at worst, trying to fool me. But every once in a while, someone says or does something that truly impresses me. And it seems like Madeline here had a similar experience. Now, I love the topic here, Madeline. I've been obsessed with psychic readings ever since I was a little kid. But real or fraud, it's always exciting to see what sticks. So thank you again for calling in with your story and your brush with the third eye. Now, if you're a long-time listener of this podcast, you've already heard me singing the praises of microdosing before. But there are so many benefits to microdosing gummies. They help with anxiety, insomnia, pain, and they can even help get me into the creative flow when I need to be. Microdose gummies deliver the perfect entry-level dose of THC that will help you feel just the right amount of good. To be clear, I'm not talking about getting high. I'm talking about the sweet spot between CBD and THC that gives you the benefits of both. They just help me feel relaxed at the end of a long day. My favorite time to take one is at night when I'm winding down, ready to chill out. They help me calm my mind and feel more present rather than worrying about the events of the next day. So what are you waiting for? Microdose is available nationwide. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com with the promo code MONSTERSAMONGUS. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com, promo code MONSTERSAMONGUS for 30% off and free shipping. microdose.com, promo code MONSTERSAMONGUS. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to that vision. You just can't get out of your head. Now our next amazing tale is a potential demonic encounter. Joseph out in Utah. Go ahead with your story. Hi Derek, this is Joseph from Utah again. This is my mom's encounter with something. Maybe a demon, who knows. So back in, you know, the same place, my house that I grew up in, I don't remember exactly what age this was, but it was a long time ago. It was back before my parents got divorced. And my dad had bought two, you take a double wide mobile home and, you know, separate it. So they're about that size each. We had two of them on the property. And back then, whenever my mom and dad would get in a fight, my mom would go and sleep in one of those because we had plumbing and electricity to it. And she used to fall asleep out there all the time by herself. And she said that one night, 
She fell asleep before she said her prayers. We were very religious at the time, and she said that she fell asleep before she said her prayers, and she woke up to the sound of something opening up the window on the mobile home door. She said that woke her up clear as day because it slammed it up, and she woke up and stared at it, and she said that something screamed at her. Something demonic screamed at her. And my mom is very mellow, very calm woman. It's very rare to see her get disgruntled or upset. From what I remember is I woke up to hearing my brother Drell scream and my mom screaming. And my dad had these outside lights. He installed lights all around our property because we had people stealing from our property and we had someone attempt to break in at one time. And at the flip of one light switch, the entire yard was lit up and we had almost two acres of property. And I just remember my dad running out there and then Drell, the oldest, ran out there with this 12 gauge pump action shotgun. And my mom came running to my dad hysterical and screaming as I was walking out the door from the back door where my dad's room was. And she ran inside and she was just hysterical. And my dad went and grabbed his Beretta, I believe, and my brother and him went around the yard checking to see if there was someone on the property. Either way, they said that when they went out there, they heard something jump off the roof of the mobile home. But when they went to look, there was nothing there and there was nowhere this thing could have hidden because everything was lit up. Unless it could move at superhuman speeds, there's no way it could have gotten away. I don't know what it was, but my mom never slept in that trailer ever again. She refused to. And I never slept out there either, because I used to sleep out there with her too. But either way, that's my mom's story of the encounter with supposedly maybe a demon or something else. Thanks. This is my story. I hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you, Joseph. You know, if you had a history of break-ins at that trailer, maybe that's something that your mother encountered was actually an intruder. And maybe they screamed because they were just as shocked to see someone in that usually empty trailer as your mother was. And maybe there was an accomplice on the roof trying to break in that way or a visual lookout for whatever reason. But then again, if it wasn't a burglar, then what exactly was it? And was Joseph's family correct in assuming some sort of demon is at fault here? Well, I'm afraid making those sorts of determinations is above my pay grade. But I do thank you once again, Joseph. Whatever it was, it sure made for a creepy call. Now, folks, if you have a story you would like to share here on the show... A true story. Give our hotline a call at 888-608-NIGHT. That's 888-608-NIGHT. Or record your story on your phone and email the file to me at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Oh, and before I move on, I'd like to announce that I have a theme for the next season premiere episode. You see, in the past, we've applied a theme to start off each and every season. We've done episodes about truckers, water workers, military, transportation people. We've covered a lot of ground over the years. But this next one is a niche position that I believe should inspire a number of wild stories. So the theme to the season 17 premiere will be the Government Workers Special. So if you work for any branch or any division, local, county, state, federal. As long as you're a civilian, your story qualifies. Now, as always, be sure to say the word government early on in your entry so that I can find the call easily. And I know the government frowns on this sort of thing, so feel free to stay as anonymous as you would like. I'm certainly not going to rat you out. Oh, and one more thing. I'm dangerously short on hometown legend calls. They've stopped coming in as frequent as they used to for some reason. So if we're going to continue the tradition of ending each season with that mega episode, 
you'd better start calling those legends in. Again, that's any paranormal story from your area. Strange history, UFO crash, a haunted building. It doesn't matter. We can make it all work. Just be sure to say hometown legend early in the call. Now, on to our next story. And this next one introduced me to two brand new cryptids. Please welcome Samantha out of Canada to the program. Hi there, I'm Samantha from Canada and I was just calling because of something that happened in my family about two or three years ago. Give a little backstory, my great grandparents were living at home with their abusive, emotionally abusive son. My grandmother, their daughter, went over to visit them. And as she was leaving, she seen in behind the garage a figure walking by that she describes looks like a humanoid, but had the face and the structure of an anteater. It was walking on its hind legs and his face looked like an anteater and a long tail. And she said it was moving really quickly and it looked at her and looked shocked and then it just disappeared. So she said it was surprised to see her there. So we were telling my mother and her friend about this experience that she had today actually. And she said that she also seen the same ant eater figure. And I asked her what the circumstances was around the event that took place. And she said at the time she was being harassed viciously by these people she had to go get a restraining order and everything it was that bad but she said the exact same description and they were both just spot on and anyway we've always wondered what that was and my grandmother she's a fine christian lady so this really when she's seen it it shook her world quite a bit so any feedback or anything would be great thank you i love your show thank you samantha now given the location that samantha called from and since she didn't disclose it, I'll just vaguely say Eastern Canada. Well, near that location, there's a story about a creature that lives high in the hillsides. The eastern parts of Canada and the northeastern United States. It's the legend of the side hill gougers. A side hill gouger is a fearsome critter adapted to living on hillsides by having legs on one side of their body shorter than the legs on the opposite side. This peculiarity allows them to walk on steep hillsides, although only in one direction. Side hill gougers are mammals who dwell in hillside burrows. After breeding, they are sometimes depicted as laying eggs. These litters usually contain around six to eight pups. Since the gouger is footed for hillsides, it cannot stand up on level ground. If by accident a gouger falls from a hill, it can easily be captured or starved to death. When a clockwise gouger meets a counterclockwise gouger, they have to fight to the death, since they can only go in one direction. Now that clip courtesy of YouTubepedia, and although it doesn't mention it in the clip, many reports of these side hill gougers describe long noses or snouts. So you can see why I would quickly associate the two. But as much as I love the concept of there being left-footed and right-footed gouchers out there somewhere, forced to live out a predetermined life on their respective slopes. But I can't help but wonder why the goucher wouldn't simply turn around and face the other way. Maybe I'm overthinking it. But it doesn't matter because as you've probably already deduced, the story probably isn't real. Now it's likely one of many legends created by board loggers over 100 years ago. The hodag, or the slide rock bolter, are other more popular examples of this sort of folklore. So if not an SHG, a slide hill gouger, what did Samantha's grandmother see that night? Now we've heard all sorts of stories about half-man, half-ape creatures, or half-man, half-goat, or half-man, half-wolf, and so on. 
but you wouldn't be alone if you'd never heard of a half-man, half-anteater. Because I'd never heard of such a thing either. So after hearing Samantha's story, I started digging through obscure websites and thumbing through every cryptozoology book in my library. And to my surprise, I found an interesting correlation. In the South American country of Brazil, a legendary beast is said to roam the jungles, preying on small animals, pets of the local villages, and on occasion, it would capture and devour a lone hunter. They call the beast the Cape Lobo, and it resembles exactly what Samantha claimed to see. An upright, hair-covered creature, claws on its hands and circular hooves on its feet. But the weirdest attribute is that it seems to have the head of an anteater, that unmistakable long snout. Now the villagers fear the Cape Lobo. They claim that it stalks its human prey before pouncing on them then constricting them so tightly that their brain matter begins to ooze from every orifice. It then uses its proboscis-like tongue to drink its victims from the inside out. It's no wonder why they fear this thing. But I can hear what you're all saying. It's all the way down in Brazil, far from Samantha's eastern Canadian home. Even if the Cabe Lobo really does exist, how would it get that far north? Well, part of the legend is that they are shapeshifters. From what I understand, when a village elder realizes it's time for them to pass, they will often go alone into the jungle to die. But legend claims that sometimes those elders survive, and they instead begin to morph into this hideous anteater man. So, like we've already established with the Skinwalker, I suppose one of these elders could have taken a flight and snuck into the backyard right before his transformation. I suppose that could happen. But in my research, I found something a little closer to home that might suggest that such a thing has already taken place. I found this info in a news article in the Harrisburg Register out of Harrisburg, Illinois, 100 miles southeast of St. Louis. An article published on November 2nd, 2010. The headline reads, Shadows of the Shawnee Investigates Tuttle Bottoms Monster. Former Harrisburg Police Chief Gary Crabtree said in 1999, prior to his retirement, the department had received as many as 50 reports of some kind of beast lurking in the area northwest of Harrisburg. Most reports regarded a hairy creature. Some had the creature on two legs and some on four. Most described it as having a long, almost anteater-like snout. Virgil Smith, founder of the animal research organization Shadows of the Shawnee, has opened his own investigation into the monster and thinks he has a clue as to what it may be. Smith is hesitant to say much more without further evidence but believes the creature was an actual animal released by the federal government and that another such creature was reported in Massac County. It stood on two legs, was hairy, close to swampy river areas. A couple had the animal walk up to him, Smith said. It was more a description of a primate. The animal was not scared of humans. Well, there's not much to go on there, but the article does lay the groundwork for the Tuttle Bottoms monster and a little deeper research suggests that legends of this creature have existed since the 1960s, maybe earlier, and the creature is typically encountered near Tuttle Bottoms Road and near the Saline River there in southern Illinois. And the description of the creature is eerily similar to the creature in Samantha's story. Here is a quick description thanks to our friend Fernando from Cryptids and Monsters over at YouTube. Basically, if you were to take a larger-than-life anteater, in this case larger than usual, 
described it being around eight feet long, maybe about four feet high or sort, and the telltale distinctive nose of an anteater, but then you were to mash it or mix it together with almost ape-like characteristics, like an ape-like body, maybe ape-like forearms, ape-like hair as well. And then you have, in essence, the Tuttle Bottoms monster. That's what it is. Um, it's been described as being bipedal, and then in other cases, being more on the lines of using or uh, going on all its four feet or its four legs. So in some instances, it also seems to rise as well on its hind legs, and that's why it walks around in a bipedal stance. But that's what this creature is, just a larger-than-usual anteater with, a, with, a, with an anteater-like snout, but it has a larger upper body, almost like an ape, and a much hairier body. Now be sure to check out Fernando's video for full coverage on this little-known creature. The link, of course, is in the show notes. Now I certainly can't say that the creature in Harrisburg is the same that Samantha's family encountered all the way up in Canada. But I will say that Illinois is a hell of a lot closer than Brazil. And there's no denying the similarities. So I'll end this by doing what I often do with these unusually themed calls. I'm asking you, the audience, what do you know? Anyone else see this thing? Anyone else heard legends in your area? Let's hear from you. And Samantha, I'll keep my ears open. If I hear anything, I'll be sure to let you know. Until then, thank you again for the introduction to a couple new cryptids. And thank you for sharing the experience. Nope. Mr. Pop. Now, speaking of swamp creatures, our next caller was nice enough to send me a physical newspaper clipping of her local cryptid, the Bishopville Lizard Man. Well, she was also nice enough to call in to share her completely unrelated story. So thank you for the article. And welcome to the show, Stacy. Hi, Derek. Hi, other amongsters. My name is Stacy, and I am calling from Charleston, South Carolina. I have been listening for a very long time and just now decided to call in. I did one time send over a hard copy of a newspaper regarding Lizard Man in South Carolina for Hometown Heroes. This story is my story, and it has to do with guardian angels. I know early on in the podcast, there were a few other calls regarding guardian angels, and this is my story. It's a very difficult story to relate because it deals with my son, and at the time, he was about five or six years old. Maybe I should preface this by saying that since my son was born... There were things that happened in our old house and around him. And his native paternal grandmother, who was full Lumbee Indian, she is a descendant of the medicine woman of the tribe. And the other interesting point I wanted to make about that is that my son, who of course has, you know, a heritage of being Lumbee Indian through his father and grandmother, that when he was younger, he had been visited. There was a shadow person in his room that would terrify him every single night from the moment he was born. I have witnessed that shadow person, but I wanted to point out that his grandmother, who was still alive at the time, she would pray over him daily and ask for protection for him. And since then, we have always felt that that protection has followed him because he has had a few other very scary instances in his life that could have turned out very differently. But anyway, she always said that there were people around him. And one day I was allowing him to go down the stairs in our home and he had a toy in his hand that required two hands. And uh, this is where the story becomes difficult for me. I made one of the worst decisions as a parent. I told him just to go slow down the stairs, even though he had two hands on the toy and not one hand on the railing. 
Well, as soon as I told him that, I turned around and something within me said, no, that was a bad decision. I was in one of those moments where I have multiple children. I was dealing with, you know, different things all at the same time. And I was like, just stop and help him down the stairs. Now, at the bottom of the stairs, there's about 15 steps. There are wooden stairs and there's banisters on both sides. His father was downstairs sitting on the couch speaking with his godparents, my son's godparents, who came over to just be with the kids, and they were going to play this toy with him. So as I turn around, I see my son take the very first step at the top of the stairs, and he went head over feet. The guilt I feel as a mother for you know, just such an error in judgment has been with me for a long time. I have nightmares about it. Uh, My son is fine. I want to put that out there. So this happened about 10 years ago. He's 16 now. He's alive and well. But he missed the first step and he started going down the stairs head over feet. And every time he went over Like, you could hear his head hit, you could hear his feet hit. Apparently, I screamed. I don't recall screaming, but I did. Everybody else told me I screamed. And my husband, who was nearby the bottom of the stairs, like I said, he was sitting on the couch. He kind of figured out what was happening and, you know, basically just dove across the room to try to catch him. I started chasing down the stairs after him, and I don't really know how to explain this part because he was going extremely fast, but yet everything seemed to be happening really slow. I don't know if it was the process time of my brain. I don't know, but he was going head over feet, and he did that, I'd say, three or four times. And in front of my eyes, I saw see the air move I see the light change and there's this swirling around my son and for some reason I feel like there were three I don't know why I feel that way I you know I didn't consciously count them but I felt like there were three beings around my son and he changed direction as they world around him and they were going so fast he went from head over feet to rolling down the stairs like a logwood he went horizontal thank you stacy wow it certainly sounds like something or someone was looking after him you hear about this sort of thing from time to time though we get calls about it here and there claims that a mysterious stranger was there at the perfect moment, or someone summoned miraculous strength, or, like here in Stacy's case, some unseen force that seems to intervene in what would otherwise have been a tragedy. I have no idea what's behind stories like this, but I do know that they show up frequent enough that we should probably pay closer attention to the claims. And by all means... Feel free to begin with Stacy's entry. We thank her again for calling in. Alright folks, this next story comes to us from the Pacific Northwest. Please join me in welcoming Mariah to the show. Hi, Derek. This is Mariah from Washington, and I've been listening to the podcast for a few months now. I really love it. This is my first time calling in. I haven't had a lot of paranormal experiences or anything like that in my life, so I never expected to call in. But I've been listening to a few recent episodes in season 15, and there is a couple stories that reminded me of two separate stories, both UFO-related, from when I was younger, when I was in high school. So the first one of these happened when I was probably 17, 18 years old, and I was driving back from Arizona to Oregon. 
And at the time, we were in the middle of Nevada. And if you've ever driven down Nevada, like the highways, north, south, east, west, it doesn't really matter. There's times where you're in the middle of the desert on like a stretch of road, right? And so I was driving. My parents were with me. I was a teenager at the time. And I remember I was driving and just looking at the road straight as a needle. You can see for miles. And as we're driving, I just see a shadow go from past my vision in front of me. So from behind us, in front of us. And it's like this super dark shadow, considering it's bright out in Nevada. And it's perfectly circular and it's moving fast, right? And so I'm like, what the heck? And I look up and I don't see anything, right? Nothing in the sky, nothing around us, no planes, nothing like that. So, you know, it's a short story, but I always wondered, huh, I wonder why I saw, you know, Nevada and all. I didn't think much of it, still don't, still don't know what it is. I'm not sure if I believe that anything has visited the earth, you know, but I always thought that was super interesting, but that's my only experience UFO related that I can't really explain. Anywho, in kind of relationship to that story is another story from when I was a junior in high school. I was also probably like 17 years old at the time. It was the end of the year and it was prom season and we had planned this great prom and it was Gatsby themed. It was super fun. And at the end of the night, we had decided that we were going to go to the roof of the building that we were having our prom in and set off lanterns into the sky. We thought it'd be super, you know, cute, a super like aesthetic, all of that good stuff. Like, you know, 17 years old at the time. And we didn't do that much in our, my small town, stuff like that. So we did that. And what was interesting is the next day, we get contacted by people at the school who got contacted by the police and the paper that the night before there was a spike in calls from people all around town, you know, it's a town of 3000 people or whatever in Eastern Oregon. And there was a spike in calls from people saying they were seeing these floating lights in the skies that they couldn't explain. They had no idea what they were. And they were like reporting them not knowing, you know, what they could be to the, both the police, but also the paper, the local paper. So I guess that puts it in perspective that there's a few stories that on your recent podcasts about how there are things in the sky sometimes that we see that we can't exactly explain. And I don't know if there's something to explain my story of that fast moving shadow that I couldn't identify, but I like to keep it logical, but also curious. Anyways, hope you can use this on the podcast. Thanks. Thank you, Mariah. You know, in regards to the first experience, that mysterious shadow in the desert. I can't help but think of these quote-unquote cloaked UFOs that some researchers claim are constantly above us. UFOs that are so well camouflaged that we simply cannot see them. But if you think about it, creating some sort of pattern that helps you blend into your surroundings is one thing, but somehow avoiding casting a shadow, well, that's something else altogether. So perhaps it's one of these cloaked UFOs that cast the shadow that Mariah drove under. That explanation may be a bit far-fetched, but the fact that it took place out in Nevada, of all places, does lend it just a little bit of clout. Because of something that outlandish was to remain hidden, the middle of the Nevada desert is exactly where that would happen. But as Mariah's last story tells us, you never really know what's really behind these strange encounters. And there's no doubt that our eyes have ways of playing tricks on us. Things aren't always as they seem. But we do thank you, Mariah, for sharing the stories. And we thank you for calling in. Okay, two quick things to cover before we dive into tonight's final entry. Don't forget the shop is open and fully stocked. So if you're feeling down this dreary winter, why not indulge in some retail therapy 
and why not help out your favorite podcast in the process? MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com and click the shop tab. And don't forget, if you're tuning in from Australia, you can catch our film, Shadows in the Desert, High Strangeness, in the Borrego Triangle, at Cinema Nova in Melbourne on Sunday, February 25th at 1 p.m. Visit the show notes for further details. And everyone else, that release date is fast approaching. March 5th, 2024. Now let's get back into the action with this wild entry. Imagine the worst a ghost could do to ruin your life. I'm curious if what you imagined is nearly half as bad as what happened to our next caller and his family. Please welcome Anonymous to the platform. Hey. So, when I was a lot younger, my family lived in a place in Nevada. We had just moved in, and there was a couple of strange things were going on. Just to begin, <laughs> well, when we first moved in, in the living room, there was this big red stain in the carpet, which wasn't uncommon there because notoriously red dirt and it would stain everything. My dad didn't think much of it. He wound up trying to remove it himself before we moved in. Actually wound up having to pull the carpet up and replace it. Well, that's not the craziest part. So after we moved in, me and my brother had always shared a room up until this point. It was the first time that I got a room to myself. Everything was fine the first few months, but about two months in, my brother would wake up in the middle of the night screaming. There's a man in my closet. There's a man in my closet. My mom would run in and comfort him as my dad would be away. Uh, he was a wildland firefighter and he would be gone all week. And so my mom would comfort my brother and this repeated every night for two months until one night my mom asked, describe the man in your closet. My little brother started to describe this guy in insane detail. The clothes he was wearing, the long beard that he had, the scar on his face. And my mom thought, wow, what a insane imagination. Well, about a month or two later, this is still going on every night, we get a knock on the door, and it's a police officer. The officer comes, and he's speaking with my mom, and he asks, we had seen the previous resident, because he had become a missing person, and they were trying to find him, and seeing if he had come back and done anything. My mom said, no, we haven't seen anybody, but do you have like a photo? or a description and the officer says, I don't have a photo but I do a, I can give you the description and the officer starts talking and my mom stops calls my little brother over as we were playing over off in the corner and she said tell the officer describe the man in your closet and I remember and my mom remembers every word that my little brother spoke the officer's face turning whiter and whiter. He gave the perfect description, down to the last things he was seen wearing. They wound up actually taking and moving us to a hotel room for the night, and we never returned. My dad wound up going and picking up all of this stuff from the house, which up until a few years ago, that was the end of the story. Well was the end of the story that as I knew it. So what happened after that was, well, my father, one of the other things that he had found, up in the top corner of the garage, there was this overhanging balcony, and in the back corner was a box of this guy's passport, all these other things. And when he had returned home, he gave it to the officer. So because my little brother shared in such detail the final parts of this man, like what he was wearing and everything down to the scar. He, it made it so that the police 
believed that we had some way become implicated in his disappearance, even though we had moved in months after he had already gone. And so they wound up taking and pulling my dad in because my dad had become friends with this guy that was in town that uh, he was also a suspect. And they pulled him in from, uh, we had moved from the place in Nevada to Preston, Idaho. And they had called him in in order to go and make a statement. And when he was there making a statement, they kept accusing him and trying to get anything out of him. My dad looked the officer in the eye and said, am I being held? And am I free to go? And they said that he was free to go, but to stick around. Well, my dad came back to Idaho and then stopped answering their calls. They would always find his phone number. They would always do all of these things. They were dead set and they thought that he had been involved in the man's disappearance. It got so bad that after my dad had finally gotten off grid, he still doesn't trust any government people because of this experience. He went to go do something at the bank, I believe, if I remember correctly, and he found out that they were trying to lure him out because they took and they put a million dollar lien on his credit, trying to flush him out. This lasted years and years. Then the next part of the story comes. About six or seven years ago, my brother Daniel, the one that saw the man, had a dream. And in the dream, he was back in that room with the man. And the man was asking for help. And he showed him two things. He showed him an experience that had happened in the living room between the man, his girlfriend, and a lover that she had taken. And he saw them killing him. Then he saw that they'd taken and placed his body in a crack between two rocks that were up a nearby canyon. My brother told me this with a look in his eyes that made me know that he wasn't exaggerating or wasn't fully sure what he himself had seen but he just needed to tell. This story kept being a part of our lives for a long time, up until about three years ago. They found the man's body up the canyon, in a crack between the two rocks. And they found DNA evidence, and the DNA matched the girlfriend and her now husband and they admitted to the murder uh, as soon as they had been found out. And miraculously, the lien on my father's credit wound up being removed. And everything else went back to normal. Love the podcast. Thank you, caller. I guess Nevada is good for all things supernatural. Now, I don't know that I've ever heard a first-hand encounter where a ghost has had such an effect on someone's life. Maybe mentally, but not physically or financially. Certainly not legally. But of course, it's the fuzz in this instance that made life difficult on our caller's father. The ghost was simply the catalyst. But as amazing as all this sounds, it's not all that out of the ordinary. We've covered other murders that were solved by the dead. The Greenbrier Ghost from Season 10, Episode 15, and the Hammersmith Murder on Season 10, Episode 10. Both come to mind. But you know there have been several other instances where someone has communicated from the other side. Other instances where a specter or a spirit successfully solved their own slaying. Take the tale of Teresita Baza, for example. Chicago resident Teresita Bassa was found dead in her apartment on the night of February 21, 1977. Her body was discovered when the fire department was called to deal with a blaze. 
and it's believed that the perpetrators set the fire to cover up their crime. Initially, the apartment seemed unoccupied, but soon the firemen made a grim discovery. It seemingly worked as the trail quickly went cold. A few months later, Bassa's co-worker, Remibius Remy Chua, helped crack the case. According to Remy's husband, Remy woke from a nap in a trance, spoke in a different voice, claimed to be Teresita, and told him that her killer was another co-worker named Alan Showery. He said the first session only lasted about 30 minutes, and then at the end his wife woke up. He asked her if she knew what happened. She said she didn't. Following a homicide investigation, it was proven that Showery did indeed commit the crime, and he was sentenced to 14 years in prison. Now that clip courtesy of Watch Mojo. But you probably heard the sultry smooth voice of Robert Stack in that clip as well. Well, that's because the Teresita Bassa case was covered on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. A link to that full episode for free is found in the show notes. And the Watch Mojo clip is also included there as well. And the clip focuses on nine other murders that were solved by the dead. So if you don't believe that sort of thing happens from time to time, watch that video and you just might change your mind. As for our caller and his family, I'm happy to hear that the mystery was solved and that your father's life is back to normal. But it's too bad it had to take so long. Maybe if someone had just listened to the little brother from the get-go, none of this would have happened. So let that be a lesson to you parents. Maybe there's some truth to the craziness your kids are spewing at night. And oh, what a terrifying concept. Well, thank you again, caller, for sharing that unsettling story. And thank you for tuning in here this evening. Because that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Copyright Red Crow Media. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Delaney Bowers. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And if you have it in your heart, please give us a rate and review wherever possible. Follow us on YouTube. Give us a like and maybe a comment would be great. And of course, follow us on our social media pages. Catch the show on digital radio every Saturday at 11 p.m. Eastern at unxnetwork.com. And finally, tonight's score was provided by Co.ag Music, Armchair Ambiance, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you all so much for being here with us this evening. I will catch you back here next week with an all-new installment. Be sure to stick around until after the outro and the ad to hear more and learn how you can gain access to even more than that. Until then, you keep it spooky and have a good night. Now this portion of the program is what we call the secret entry, or the bonus call. You see, I hide a secret story at the back end of every episode. A weird, strange, unusual call. One that typically doesn't fit anywhere else. Reserving the space for the most odd of calls. And what's more odd than three figures that not only look alike, but move in unison as well. From Parts Unknown, please welcome Anonymous to the program. Hi, so I'll just say Anonymous, but 
I'm 37 now, and when I was in eighth grade, we went on a field trip to Washington, D.C. with my class. Anyway, so um, I was just listening to the Mirrored Minute episode part two, and it made me think about this. I don't think that's what it was, but I really, really want to know because I've thought about it randomly the rest of my life. Okay, so we went to this mall, and the teachers let us break up into little groups and just sort of go out on our own. And so me and, like, three girlfriends were wandering around, and we're on the top level. And this group of boys, and I say boys because they looked like they were a little bit older than us, maybe like into high school, middle middle of high school, I don't know. They weren't grown, but they weren't our age. Anyway, so all of them were wearing exactly the same clothing, exactly the same shoes. Their shoes were really shiny. They looked like they were dressed for a wedding or like Secret Service members look like in the movies. And they were wearing glasses, like just sunglasses, not mirrored or anything, just glasses that hid their eyes. And each one of them had the same haircut. The weirdest and the coolest part to me was that they walked in such a way that they moved like a school of fish. So say if you put your foot down in the water and there's a bunch of little fish in there, they all move the same direction. And it's like they share one brain. It's really cool. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Because I'm me, (laughs) I went over to them. My friends didn't want me to. They just told me to leave them alone. But um, I went over to them, and I asked one. I was like, what, what are you guys doing? What's up with this? Because, you know, it's really weird. And he's like, uh, I'm afraid I can't tell you that, miss. But he sounded like super official. It was very odd. And I'm so curious. To this very day, I don't know what the hell that was. I don't think it was paranormal, but it's really odd. And I posted it on Reddit, and I never got any good answers. So I would love to know if anybody anybody else out there ever saw this and if you were at that mall it was february or march it was march of 2000 so if you're at that mall march 2000 i don't really remember the dates you may have seen them too and if you know what they were or who they were tell me because to this day it's a mystery to me but they were they were just in sync it was incredible to watch them move i, I still don't know how they pulled that off And my one theory is flash mob, but nothing happened. That was literally the entire thing, was they just moved in unison like a school of fish. Dressed alike, looked alike, same everything, and then that's it. I don't know, it was very odd. So, uh, thank you, and uh, I hope you have a great day. I really enjoy listening. Thank you, caller. Now, if that was a genuine mirrored man experience, it's the most benign one I've ever heard of. It seems our caller was at a greater risk of losing a dance-off to these strangers than she was losing any time. Some of the important aspects were there, but not enough to make me think this was an actual mirrored men event. I instead suspect that the military had something to do with this. Maybe a flag ceremony or something. Perhaps this was the ROTC or another similar program. Maybe someone out there recognizes this behavior and can help us identify it. But until then, thank you again, caller, for sharing your entry. Now I'm about to switch over to the beyond. It's the little after show that we put together. It's sort of like when your shift at work is over, but you still like to hang out with some of your favorite coworkers in the back for a spell. And you can join us by visiting Patreon and searching for our name in the search box. Go Beyond, where we share stories like Julia's from Japan. Hi there. My name is Julia. I currently live in Chicago, Illinois. I've been listening to the podcast a little bit, and I've never, ever heard a story like my own, not even on your podcast. This happened in November of 2009. I had just moved to Japan and I lived in a small rural village and there was a autumn ceremony, a big festival. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. 
It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.